From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and the studios of Sandberg Media, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we go to the front lines of Standing Rock and the Dakota Access Pipeline controversy. We speak with a seminarian, Taylor Gould, who recently returned from Standing Rock and tells us about her experiences there amongst the Native peoples, the water protectors, what she learned, and how the events are unfolding in real time there in the Dakotas. Stay tuned. Hey friends, before we begin the show, I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about a new podcast from my friend, the Reverend Kat Banakas. It's called The Holy, Holy Podcast, and each episode, Kat takes this big question like dying or careers or how to be single and Christian, and she talks about it with experts from across the nation, sometimes from across the world, and then at the end of the show, she puts it to a three-person panel that includes a representative of the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith. It's always a fantastic conversation. I always learn something when I listen to it, and I just love the fact that she's doing it. So I hope that you'll take a look for the Holy Holy Podcast. You can find it through iTunes. You can find it at holyholypodcast.com. You can also find it through our website, csec.org. So that's the Holy Holy Podcast with the Reverend Kat Banakas. Give it a listen. I know. I know you're going to love it. Thanks. Okay, here we go with the show. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. And today we're going to have a conversation that is a little off the beaten path of what we normally do. Uh, normally a guest comes on and we discuss something like a book or a new event that's happening. But instead today we're going to take some time to talk about an event that is unfolding and that a lot of people have not been very well informed about. And that's the events that are going on in the Dakotas at the Standing Rock site. We've invited as our guest today a seminary student, Taylor Gould, who's also serving as an intern at Chicago. Chicago Sunday Evening Club this year. But Taylor recently went to Standing Rock, and we're going to speak to her about her experiences and try and understand from her perspective uh, what is going on there and why it should matter to people outside the Dakotas. So to start, Taylor Gould, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So help us to understand, first of all, where it is that we're talking about. Because I, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know if we're talking about North Dakota or South Dakota. Where is this place? Yeah, we, I, I think I was a bit confused about where I was going. Um, there was this call put out and I knew general areas and I just jumped on. But this is around Cannonball, North Dakota, uh, which is on a reservation in north in southern North Dakota. And so we dipped into South Dakota to get there, and we went through Minnesota and Wisconsin and the northern parts of Illinois in order to get there. You went through South Dakota to get to South North Dakota. Yes. All right, as if that's not already confusing enough. <laughs> and and so and I, I'm, I'm not meaning to make light of this, and I realize that what we'll be speaking about will be, will be serious, mm-hmm. but what was it that drew you – 
there? What was the the reason why you went to this place that is so sort of difficult to find on a map? Yeah, there was a Episcopal priest who serves on the reservation who put out this call for clergy who recognized that there was a need to have a faith presence. And so he originally asked for 100 faith leaders to come and gather and to talk about their own theology and to be able to stand there and say, as a person of faith, I am against the colonialism that's happening. And he expected 100 faith leaders and over 500 showed up. And, you know, in our in our training for this action, he told us that this is significant because it's been over 500 years since the doctrine of discovery was created. Um, and that's why we were, the, we were there. We were there to talk about how our own theology has caused so much colonialism. So let, let's take a couple of steps back because I, I yeah. want to make sure that listeners are fully briefed on what it is actually that we're talking about. So if 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 they haven't been been hearing on the news, and it's mm-hmm. it's clear that some people would not have been because the news has not been covering this very well. Let's just take a step back. What is going on at Standing Rock? What there's an event, there's a confrontation, but what is it, and why is it happening? So there's a Dakota access pipeline that's going across the Dakotas and will uh, slice the state of Iowa diagonally in half. And it will go through the southern part of Illinois. But it's a pipeline that will have oil pumping through it. And it was routed to be near Bismarck. But the citizens of Bismarck decided that it was too dangerous to have that pipeline be so close to their water supply. And so they wanted to move it and moved it through the reservation, which was a reservation through treaties. It was the minimal promise that we made, um, you know, to protect the Native Americans. And But here we are cutting through that land, cutting through their sacred burial grounds with no regard. And I believe that there are promises um, that have been decided or some sort of legal loophole that gives them permission to be there. But regardless, that the bulk of the people that are there aren't in agreement with that and don't feel safe with what they call the black snake, the Dakota Access Pipeline, going through their sacred grounds and touching their sacred water, the water that they kept referring to as the blood of Mother Earth. And so there's a concern over water, and this was a concern that was shared by the citizens of Bismarck, who who managed to, if I'm hearing you correctly, mount effective political resistance to having it go through their community. And so it was shifted south to go through this other community. And in the process, you mentioned that there are that there are sacred sites, burial grounds, and others. Did you actually see these sacred sites yourself, or did you see the damage against them? Well, we didn't get to see them. We did see um, the bulldozing of land, but it wasn't of the specific burial grounds. And we saw the pipeline going into the ground, um, but more specifically, we saw the water that would be affected. And this is the Missouri River, which leads into the Mississippi River, which affects most of our nation's water supply. 
If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Taylor Gould. She's a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. And she recently took a trip to uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, to Southern North Dakota, uh, <laughs> to to take part in, in an observance and, and a protest and, and, a, and a religious retreat at at the Standing Rock site where there is a great deal of, of, of dissension right now happening around the Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, those that want to construct the pipeline are being uh, resisted by those that are describing themselves as water protectors who are speaking from various Native American and Christian traditions. So you, you said that you, you saw bulldozers in action and you saw the place where what the, the local people describe as the black snake kind of going into the ground. But the the complaints have been that this has been uh, a violation, a disruption of their of their sacred grounds. And so, let me ask sort of a, a question that will sound more pointed than I mean it to: Why should a Christian seminarian care if Indian burial sites are being bulldozed? What is what is the harm if if you're a person that wants to see the propagation of the gospel that proclaims the one true God? Yeah, and I think that's a difficult one for for people who believe the one true God and that, like, you know, that's someone else's problem. That's not my problem. It's not, you know, going in my burial ground. And I think that that thought process itself is really problematic because, and I don't want to sound like I'm co-opting the land, but because it is God's land, it is sacred to all of us. And so that's a point where I can connect, that it's going to affect my water supply. Though it's not my sacred land, it is sacred land of God. And so you, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're, you're talking about a commonality that exists uh, spiritually, mm-hmm. that, there, that what I heard you say was that there's, there's sort of a, a need to protect the land. There's a mm-hmm. need to, to think about that, and that that's common to whether you're a person of, of Native American faith traditions or a person of Christian faith traditions. First of all, have I heard that correctly? Yeah. And then secondly, what I'm hearing is that there's, there's a piece that overlaps with that that is, that is so pragmatic that even a person of no faith could agree with it, and that is that somehow this threatens a water supply, and not just for the people in that immediate area, but for people literally downstream. Have I also heard that correctly? Absolutely. And I, I realize that you're not an expert in geology, and, no. and you, you just are a person that, that has been there and observed. But, but either from your being there on the ground and having been told or the things that you've researched and, and sort of learned about in your preparations for the trip, what, what is the danger to the water supply there? What, what could go wrong? Yeah, and this is highly contested. I was trying to look up the facts, and there's a Dakota Access uh, fact Twitter that I found, and it was just saying anything and everything positive. And for facts, it was very clearly biased. But it was saying, oh, pipelines are the safest way to transport oil. And I think that's a flawed logic in general because oil isn't safe. Uh, We're taking resources from the ground that belong in the ground. And we've done all of the studies around that. And as you said, I'm not a scientist, and so I can't speak too much to that. But that fossil fuels are increasingly becoming a dying business, that we know the carbon footprint of fossil fuels. And we know that it's it's 
something that's becoming outdated and rightfully so that we can start to use renewable energy. And that was something beautiful that we saw at the camp that we were able to see. Um, you know, we all got there with our cars, which we recognized as problematic, that we were using oil to get to the spot to protest oil. And I, I believe in my heart one day that we will have renewable energy transportation, but, it, you know, it's hard to do right now. But at the campsite, they were talking about the college on the reservation and how they were learning about renewable resources because they know that that is where they find hope. And we saw solar panels at the camp. We saw thermal energy coming in to the do- the dome that they had set up for winter season. And to see that they're taking on their own resurrection, um, their own redemption, and that they're not just, you know, like we were using the oil to combat the oil, that they're trying to work as hard as they can for the renewable resources. And and you say that they were doing this. When we think about that, who is the they that is they. there full time? Yes, and it's quite a diverse group. You know, the, It conjures up the words in Exodus, the mixed multitude that were part of the Exodus. Um, and there's a mixed multitude there, and um, the mixed multitude includes the the, tri- the Sioux tribes of the Lakota Nation, and it includes hundreds of tribes across the nation, across North America and South America. In fact, we had a run-in with uh, someone who had come from Brazil. We got a flat tire while we were there, and this man came over and said, you know, I have a, I have a jack, and I can help put something under the jack so it's not sinking into the ground. And he helped with all of these elements of getting the tire fixed. And then we realized that we didn't have a good enough tire to put back on it to make that 13-hour trip back. And so he took the tire and went into Bismarck hours away and took care of the tire and took care of us. And so we were having this cultural experience, this global experience, just in this one camp. And there were thousands in this camp and the the fact that we had run into that one person from brazil meant that there were so many more and and so why was a person from brazil there yes he was part of he was a native person he was a tribal person in a tribe in brazil and he knew that if rights were being taken away in north dakota those are his rights. Those are his Brazilian rights. And he knew that people would then come for him eventually, but also that he needs to protect the people who are already there. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're taking our episode today to speak to Taylor Gould, who is a seminary student from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, and she recently made a trip to Standing Rock, which is a, a disputed location surrounding the Dakota Access Pipeline, and she had a chance to gather with 500 other seminarians and church leaders who were called there by the tribes that are describing themselves as water protectors uh, standing against the Dakota Access Pipeline. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, David Dalt here. You may be wondering why we take time out of the podcast to have these little minute-long breaks with the crazy music underneath. The answer is simple. We are trying to design the podcast so that it pays for itself. And so these are places where someday we will have some advertising. Now, 
let's say that you have been interested in getting into some sort of podcasting advertising platform where you want to promote your product. We would be a wonderful mid-market solution for you, uh, particularly if you want to reach an educated audience that really, really likes stuff about religion. Uh, so that's what this is here for. So if you would like to learn more about advertising with us, you can go to advertisecast.com or you can contact us through our website. We would love, love, love to work with you. Thank you always for listening. Okay, back to the show. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Taylor Gould. She's a seminarian that studies at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. But recently she traveled to Standing Rock to be with 500 other pastors to help to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline Initiative that is going through the community at Standing Rock. Well, you mentioned that you came there with other pastors, Mm -hmm. and I... In the reporting that I've heard about this, I've I've heard it talked about from an environmental standpoint, and I've heard about it talked about from a secular standpoint. I'm very curious uh, what the language was among these people that made this trip. What is the theological case to be made here? Why why should this be seen as a religious or a faith issue as well as an environmental or uh, maybe a justice issue? So I'm glad you're asking the theological question because that's where my heart is and that's where I've been reflecting the most. Um, And the reason that we were asked there was to lift up our own repudiations of the doctrine of discovery. And I must admit that I didn't know about the doctrine of discovery before I got there. And I didn't know that the United Methodist Church, which is my faith background, had repudiated the doctrine of discovery. And I still can't find much about it, which says a lot about the action moving forward. But I want to take a step back. The Doctrine of Discovery was created in 1493 that supported Spain's strategy to ensure its exclusive right to the land discovered by Columbus the previous year. And and so what I'm hearing you saying is is that it's a a doctrine that, that existed very soon after the discovery, and I'm using scare quotes here, yeah. of the Americas, yeah. which already is a, is a contested sort of sort of notion because there were already people here and already functioning civilizations. Who was it that granted this doctrine to mm-hmm. Spain? This was Pope Alexander VI. And you know, the language that was being used was that problematic discovered language. And the language that it had is um, that we as white Europeans, um, had the right to discover land that weren't inhabited by Christians. And then we further had the the right to destroy people who didn't convert to Christianity. That it was this some sort of saving their souls and tending to to God's creation. And that's a very problematic theology, just to take and see... um, It also used the languages of barbarians that, you know, those that don't have Christianity in their heart in the way that we see Christianity is barbarians. And that's why we gathered. We gathered to repent of that. And we gathered to say, you know, this is this gathering is a beginning point. This is us saying that was wrong. And now we have to fight tooth and nail to repent, to do better, to Try to overcome the harm that we have caused. 
and when you use this word repent, that's a loaded theological term. So loaded. And, but, but so when we think about what repentance might look like in this context, mm-hmm. does it mean, and you, you've put a couple things on the table, does it mean repentance from colonialism? Does it mean repentance from this doctrine of discovery? Does it mean repentance from, from, uh, from, from oil? And the use of oil, does it mean repentance from all that our civilization has gained as a result of a fossil fuel economy over the last century and a half? I mean, that's a lot to repent. And, and if, we, if we get through the process of repenting, we might again be sort of looking at banging two rocks together and hoping that we get a spark. I mean, mm-hmm. listeners may be pushing back on this and saying, I kind of like the fact that I'm cool in the summertime and warm in the wintertime and that when I want to go see Aunt Mildred, I can get in the car and go see Aunt Mildred. What's wrong with that? So what is there to repent of? Absolutely. And I think... The repentance is going to be all of those things, that it has to be owning the doctrine of discovery and owning our new understanding of the doctrine of discovery, that we continue to, quote, discover this land, to take take it and to put the black snake of the Dakota Access Pipeline into the land. And so we take ownership, and in taking ownership, we have to do a lot of work to recognize the harm, to be able to say, I love getting in my car and being able to get here. I I love being warm in the winter and cold in the summer and comfortable. In, it, it's a privilege I, to be able to use that. And I don't think that we need to light the entire world on fire and to burn everything down to repent. I think we've done a lot of harm and I don't think we'll ever be able to fully reconcile all of that. But our efforts in saying, let's protect the little land that we've given you, at least, I think that's a huge step forward. And that's that's another piece of this that I think um, needs to be thought through, and that is there's a word of honor involved here. There's a treaty involved yeah. here, and uh, the treaty already has a fraught history. I mean, let's be honest, we have not necessarily kept our word to the native peoples of this country in a lot of generations. So... Is this just more of the same, or is there something particular about the breaking of this treaty? Maybe maybe we could say, okay, those that have come before us, they were less civilized and they were they were they were more they were more racist, but now we should know better? I mean, is that what makes it the difference? Or is there some some other aspect that makes this different? Or again, is this just more of the same along a continuum and we're just we're just awful with our treaties with native peoples? We are absolutely awful with our treaties to native peoples and there's so many people that we've promised to protect, but you know, we we should know better. We've learned so much. We've grown so much. Now we understand how intersectional it is. So I think part of this catalyst for the movement is that we're able to recognize that it is environmental, that it's going to affect us. And that's really selfish that it took affecting us to be able to stand for other people. But I think that's huge, and I think to be able to say that we're intertwined and we're interwoven in this fight for justice, I think that's what's really going to make the difference in the world. And so when, when you talk about this in terms of justice, um, help me understand what what you're meaning by that term, because I think different people are going to have different ideas of what justice is. So what do you mean when you say this word? It's such a loaded term for many different people in so many different ways, but for me... As a Christian, as a United Methodist, I see justice as Christ's justice. And Christ 
stood and lived with those on the margins and lifted up those most disenfranchised by the Roman Empire. And so for me, justice is standing with those people. And it's not going to look like justice for the Roman Empire, which is hard because a lot of us sit in the Roman Empire. But justice is going to be looking at those marginalized people and those disenfranchised and oppressed by the empire and saying, you matter, that Christ stands with you, that I stand with you, and that we need to do everything to support you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen, and we're, we're doing a special episode uh, speaking to some people that have been to Standing Rock, which is the location of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And we're talking right now to Taylor Gould, who is a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, about her recent experience traveling to Standing Rock. And so you, you've talked in this conversation so far about the need to repent and and the and the the sort of broken history of treaties that we've had with these native peoples so when you went there with this group i'm assuming it's a group from Garrett Seminary that went yeah there were about 15 of us from Garrett Seminary okay and is this part of the regular curriculum we're going to figure out the right place to go p- protest this semester and we're going to get into a car and go do it or was was this something that was created just for this particular situation no this was planned within 3 days we heard the call for faith leaders on Thursday and we had to leave on Tuesday so i guess my math is wrong, but it was just a few days. We were able to organize gas money and supplies to donate and winter weather sleeping bags. And the, it was kind of incredible that 15 people, leaders in the seminary, were able to um, arrange their classes and their homework and their field placements, which are like their internships in seminary. And to drop everything and say, no, this is important right now. We need to stand for this. We are in seminary for this reason, that we'll be able to stand with those disenfranchised. And so what was the road trip like? Oh, the road trip was fun. We So it was six hours to Minnesota area and then seven hours to North Dakota. And it was very interesting. We read these packets of information that were given or that were sent out online social media to white people that were coming to Standing Rock to prepare you. And a lot of the things that we read were um, that a lot of white people come and find their spirituality and want to stay and that that's problematic because it's further col- colonialization and co-opting of religion. Um, but that we need to to go with the firm spirituality. So we had the privilege of being seminarians with pretty firm spiritualities going in. But also resources on how to respect and to be able to stand there and not be martyrs or saviors and just to be in solidarity and to take our own ownership of the things that we are responsible for. And what does that ownership look like when you confront, uh, in some ways, an alien spirituality? Because did you have a sense of what Sioux religion was or what Native American spirituality or religion was before you got there? Or did you sort of literally learn it on the ground in conversation with people? That was... 
So I read Black Elk Speaks in undergrad, and I think that was really the spirituality that I was able to witness, this intersection of um, native tribal traditions and uh, Christianity. And so when we arrived, one of the first things that we were presented with was a buffalo hide that had the Gospel of Luke written on it. And it was explained to us that this was important because it wasn't Christianity spoken to or at the native people, that it was Christianity through the native tradition and that they were able to find the Christ-like liberation and justice that we spoke about in their own native tradition. And that was amazing to witness. So were the people that that were there the indigenous persons that were protesting this, would they classify themselves as Christian or, or was it a mix? Was it was it Christian plus or was it predominantly Native American spirituality? And I don't even know what that term might mean in this in this particular context. Yeah. So there was a sacred fire that was going twenty four seven for months that we were there. And I don't think they would classify that as Christian, but there were Christian leaders from the tribe that spoke to us. There were elders that thanked us and said that um, we were an answer to prayer. It's not in our presence or that we were able to solve anything, but that we were people who were beginning to question our problematic theology. Um, so the the prayers aspect was so Christian. But yeah, you're right. It was a mixed multitude again. It was a lot of different faith traditions. And even the faith leaders that showed up were I saw a lot of Buddhist representations and there were a few rabbis in the mix and, you know, faith traditions that I didn't necessarily recognize. And how did that make you think about your own studies as a seminarian? I mean, I'm assuming that that you are made aware of the fact that there are other faiths beyond Christianity (laughs) and beyond the particular Methodist form of Christianity that you practice. But what was it like to see that in real time uh, there in that in that moment? Yeah, and so Interfaith Youth Corps is just a couple blocks from us, and I'm proud to say that I'm alum. I am an alum of that program, um, and so I don't often get to think about that in seminary because we are all Christian, more or less. There's, you know, a few non-Christians there, but um, to be able to gather together with one commonality, with one cause that we can all stand behind and you know there's many causes but this was a specific cause that um, a protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline and to say that all of our faith traditions the things that we hold sacred are going to lift this up and I think that's so important and when we go out into the world even when we face different Christianities it's still going to be this inner faith thing because my Christianity doesn't look like your Christianity nor does it look like anybody else's Christianity, and that's interfaith. Being able to connect on um, the similar points is what's going to help us see the sacredness in each other's Christianity. Now, when you went there, I'm assuming that everybody that went there was was sort of of a like mind. You did you see protesters? Were there were there people pushing back either from a Christian perspective or just generally, or was it mainly the people that were there to work and construct the pipeline, and then those that were protesting or protecting the water? It was mostly those 
protecting the pipeline and those protecting the water. Um, you know, there were some disagreements within our group about the forms that we should do it or what we were accomplishing in it, that we weren't making enough of a witness when um, the intention was to be an inward witness to our own spirituality. But yeah, the only real opposition was across the bridge, across the river, the barbed wire and the high militarization of the police that were protecting the pipeline. And uh, we didn't even get to see the whites of their eyes. They were so far away and separated by so much. And you say that some that had come there were struggling with, with how much direct action and how much sort of direct advocacy to be utilizing. Paint that picture for us. What was what were some of those conversations like? Yeah, we were asked by the tribes to come as a peaceful, prayerful, nonviolent, and a lawful witness. And the work that we were doing was not to change the natives' minds. It wasn't, we knew that we weren't going to change the minds of the police in that moment. And so this was about our own reconciliation with our theology and working with how to change that. But there were some people when we showed up that said, I'm ready to be arrested. And um, it it was this very interesting speech because there were real tears and that there were real feelings that people felt guilty about uh, the way that their theology had caused this. But they did it in a way that it made it about them, that they wanted to get arrested, that this was their time to be the martyr and the savior and accomplish all of the things and make everything right. But I think, and I think that's necessary, but I think we needed to be the savior to ourselves. And when you use this phrase, to be the savior to yourselves, what... What does that mean to you? What does that look like to a person who, who, if I may, for our listeners, comes from a certain amount of privilege? Um, yeah. What does what does what does salvation look like in this particular moment? For for I'm asking specifically for for you. Yeah. I think Jesus spoke about giving up everything, and I think. I think that's important, you know, giving to the poor and giving time, um, gifts, talent, services in the language of United Methodists. But um, I think we needed to take a moment to recognize our own privilege and to say, I have benefited from the desolation of your land. And now is my time to take ownership and to say that I now stand with you. And that's not that's not a cut and dry thing. That's not going to be an easy path. And being an ally is never going to be an easy path. There, we're always going to make mistakes. But to be able to say that I want to take ownership for what I've done and what my people have done, I think that's the very first step. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Taylor Gould. She's a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. And she recently made a trip with 500 other pastors to gather at Standing Rock to protest and to learn about and to be in solidarity with those that are protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. We'll be back in a moment. 
Earlier in the program, we talked about advertising, but there are ways to support things not seen, even if you don't have anything to sell. I just wanted to take a moment and give a quick shout out and thank you to our Patreon supporters. Now, if you don't know what this platform is, it's a way for you to regularly give contributions that support our work every time that we release a new episode. It costs you just a little bit, like maybe the cost of a latte a month, maybe a dollar an episode, but it adds up because it aggregates with all the other people and ends up being a nice sum for us. Many of you have stepped up. We've only been doing this for a few weeks, but already the numbers are there, and I appreciate it so much. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can do it very easily. Just go to patreon.com. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash notseenradio. Thank you always for listening, and thank you especially for your support. We really do appreciate it. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. And today we're taking a a special detour uh, to speak to a person who recently has returned from Standing Rock, which is a an area in southern North Dakota where the Dakota Access Pipeline has been a disputed territory. And we're speaking today with Taylor Gould. She's a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. Taylor is speaking to us today about her experience uh, having gone there for this gathering of 500 pastors that happened in the last couple of weeks. So paint for us the picture you get out of the the van or mm-hmm. you or you wake up in the morning what is it that you see tell us about the landscape tell us about kind of what the vista is that is there before you for those that have never seen the dakotas or those that have no idea what this landscape looks like before the day that we had the action we arrived in cannonball north dakota we had to drive through um so much hills, plains, land, um, to be able to get to this tiny town. And we gathered in the gym with the 500 clergy members that were going to be there. And we held our nonviolent training and explained the theology and the reason that we're doing all of this. And then after that, we went to the camp and we set up. It was dark outside. You could see every single star in the sky. There were drones overhead beating um, most hours of the night. But we set up our tents and put as many layers on as we possibly could because it dipped below freezing. We were not prepared for that. We listened to those drones throughout the night. And then very early the next morning, it was about 6 o'clock, this loudspeaker comes on, and this man's saying, Wake up, sun dancers! Wake up, fire keepers! Wake up, water protectors! Wake up, Christians, dust off your Bibles, shine your crosses. You are here for a purpose, and it's your time to wake up. It, you know, it was a beautiful alarm that morning, and we woke up, and it, he kept saying over the loudspeaker, come get coffee, come gather at the sacred fire, support one another. And, you know, we slowly got up and were able to gather at the fire and take part in this water ritual that, water was blessed and then passed around we held out our hand and accepted a few drops of water and we were told to drink it but as the clergy were slowly gathering around the sacred fire we talked about our theology again we asked if we could burn the doctrine of discovery in their sacred fire and we were told that it's a sacred fire for offering of the gods of good things and we could not put that evil in the sacred fire so we still burned it, but outside of the sacred fire. 
And then we lined up and we got smudged, uh, blessed with a smudging. And and what does this mean, a smudging? What is this? Yes, that's uh, the burning of sage and the smoke wafted over you. And that's supposed to be a cleansing and a blessing. And so it, it was a very long process, but all 500 of us got in that line and we walked up to the smudging and um, were blessed. And we started walking towards the bridge, which was you know, a couple hundred yards away and and started uh, singing. And one of the songs that we were singing were, I've got peace like a river, I've got love like an ocean, I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. And, I, you know, that's a beautiful Sunday school song. And as soon as we were done, one of our fellow clergy leaders said, I've got pain like a pipeline. I just kind of sat with that. I've got pain like a pipeline in my soul. And... We looked at each other and we started singing. And at the end of the verse, we just said, ow. And that's why we're here. We're here because we have a pain like a pipeline in our soul. But anyway, so we, we get up to the bridge and we see these two large dump trucks smashed into each other and burned out. And we see various cars on the side of the road that had been burned out. And we try to look past the dump trucks. It was hard to see, but there was a line of police and Uh, heavily militarized and the crest of all of the hills around us there were cars which we were told were snipers and observance vehicles and the drones are still flying overhead and there's helicopters we're told that there's cell service blockers that we weren't able to contact anyone if anything happened so we gathered and we had this worship space and many people in the language of christianity gave testimony how we can move forward here and how we can move forward once we go home to our own locations. And then at the end, all 500 of us formed a single file circle. It was huge and it took so long to form it. If you've ever tried to wrangle kindergartners, it was a bit like that. Clergy members, they all wanted to lead. But we called it the Neobrara Circle of Life. We had a quick prayer, and then the circle turned in on itself. One point of the circle turned to their neighbor and started shaking hands and went down the line, and we went all around the circle and shook every single person's hand. And it was this beautiful moment of being able to look each other in the eye and pass the peace, thank them for being there. And it was this moment of, I'm going to hold you accountable, and I hope you hold me accountable because I love you so much. I love that you're here and I love that we're going to move forward from here. This is just the beginning. And so, you know, passing the peace took a couple hours because there were 500 people who had to pass 500 handshakes. And um, then we had our loaves and fishes lunch. This was supposed to be a gathering of 100 clergy people, maybe. And 500 clergy people showed up and we still had enough Food. We had these sandwiches and chips and drinks, uh, like water bottles and apples and oranges, and that the people of the community had just offered everything that they could to feed us. So a couple things in, in your description, and thank you for, for telling us what you saw and what you experienced. One was just the imagery of that hymn, Peace Like a River, a Joy Like an Ocean, Love Like a Fountain. It's all water imagery. Yeah, and that's what we were protecting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, but then to the the one voice that spoke up and said, "I've got pain like a pipeline." Mm. The pipeline is not carrying the same fluid. No. It feeds a different type of life. So biological life needs water to survive. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular type of life uh, that needs oil to survive. And it's, it's, a, it's a livelihood. It's a life that is tied up in, in our production cycle, our, our capitalist system, the ways that we, we use industrialization. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and water is such a symbol for Christianity that one of the universal sacraments across Christianity is baptism, that we have that cleansing of the spirit. Um, There's other imagery of foot washing or the saying, let justice roll down like the waters. Like Water is such a cleansing, life-giving thing. And uh, while we were there, they used the language that water was the blood of Mother Earth and that it was the life force of creation. And that was just beautiful and painful to think that the lifeblood of our religion, the symbol of cleansing and purification and justice was being tainted and risked this black snake coming into it and poisoning it. And I don't know if you if you have any answer to this, but when oil gets into water, what what happens? What happens to the water? Like what what is the what what harm could be done by having the the, the water tainted by this black snake, as as is being said there at Standing Rock? Yeah, and you know I'm not a scientist, but I've stood at the gas station and been overwhelmed by the fumes, and have grown up on the Mississippi River, and I know what the oil on the top of the river looks like that it it doesn't mix in with the water but it's with the water that it gets everywhere that the water is and it kills livestock it can kill plants it's gonna kill us if we drink it experiencing all of the oil spills and explosions um in our past we know the pain of it and we know that it's very possible that it's going to destroy a lot of things if you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with seminary student Taylor Gould. Uh, she's a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. But she recently returned from uh, a visit and action at Standing Rock, which is the area surrounding the disputed Dakota Access Pipeline. So now you've gone and you've met all of these people of different faith traditions and you were gathered as a witness from faith for faith in this place that is in dispute. What was one of the interactions that you had that surprised you the most? Did you meet somebody that like, I had no idea that this type of person would be here? Or did you, did you have some sort of conversation that left you sort of thinking in a different way about why you came there? I mean, help us to see one or two of those kind of, mm-hmm. kinds of interactions that, that stand out for you. Oh, and that's an interesting question because I didn't know what I was expecting to see when I showed up. And so everyone was kind of a surprise. And I think the thing that was the most surprising were to see so many other United Methodists there. You know, when we did the nonviolent training the day before, we split up into our affinity groups, into our denominations and faith backgrounds, and the United Methodists gathered. And... uh, (laughs) We, as good Methodists do, we spent a lot of time meeting each other and telling all of our stories, and we joked about forming a committee about our identities. 
Um, but it was so fascinating because we ended up all having a connection beyond the United Methodist connection that, you know, we would each know someone who knew someone who knew someone there. And it was a beautiful connection. And to see that we are that interwoven within our own denomination means that we're that interwoven throughout the world. And to have that interwovenness gather together for one sacred cause that we could all stand with is so powerful. And I think reminds us of why we're Christians and, you know, why we have any faith background or tradition that we gather together continuously every week or every quarter for some of us. You, you mentioned that there were, were constant uh, sounds of drones in the sky. What were the drones doing up there? I'm, 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 I, I've got some idea, but do you have a sense of what the drones were doing up there? Yeah, and they were surprisingly small drones. They were like the drones that you would see a father and son playing with in a field or something. Because um, I've heard of you know the drones in Israel being huge and massive. But these were just tiny drones um, with the tiny cameras on them to see what we were doing. And as as I said, they told us that there were cell service blockers. And, you know, I'm not in the drone, so I have no idea what was up there, but we sure did not have any cell service. But that could have been because we were in the middle of nowhere. Um, but these drones, we realized in our reflections, they might not even be reporting anything. But the fact that they're there so constantly and looming and loud. Um, it was a scare tactic to have this beautiful gathering with so many diverse people, with so many faith backgrounds, and this community that was pulling together to support one another, to feed one another, to change each other's tires and help set up each other's tents and keep each other warm. That's terrifying if you oppose that, that they are so... There's this sense of safety just in supportive community that I think that they were sending those drones just to wrestle up that community and supportiveness. And I don't think surveilling us did any good because it's not like we were doing illegal things over there. We were eating, we were sleeping, we were dancing around the fire, and if people were taking part in those ritualistic traditions. But... I, there was a sense of unease every time we heard a drone. Coming back from this experience, what is it that uh, that you you are taking into your your returned state that that keeps you frustrated? What is it that you really want people to know about this situation that that you don't think that they know that you think is vital for them to know? Going into this situation, I didn't know about the doctrine of discovery. And that's the one thing that when I say it to people, they don't respond, oh, yeah, the doctrine of discovery. What is that? And I had to look it up and see <laughs> what is it. And to be able to describe that our church historically stands to excuse the taking of land of anyone who doesn't fit into our form of Christianity, that's really powerful and that's how I see my ministry being shaped moving forward is to say that we have this very this problematic history of using theology for selfish uh, gain that we gave an excuse to the church and 
said that it was of God to be able to just take entire lands from people and to murder the people that were already there and to continue to call it that we discovered it. And I don't know. We can go back in time and make that better, but we can sure own up to that and say that our church exists because of that doctrine and we need to move forward because of that. That Chicago exists because of that doctrine. Just the simple act of acknowledging that is one way that we can respect Native Americans. And moving from forward from there is, you know, it's unknown. It's We don't know what our ally work will look like going forward, but we know that we have to own up to it, and we know that we have this conviction. And so the flip side of that, uh, I imagine that, that you encountered a great many things that frustrated you and that that, uh, that sort of shook you. What is it, that, and maybe there isn't anything, but I hope that there's something, what is it that keeps you hopeful in this moment? What is it that you're taking away from this experience and you want to make sure that people understand is important and, and able, able to keep you optimistic in this moment? To remember that community, and I think that's what the church really exists for, that the people that gathered didn't have a lot of means, but the means that they had, they offered up to one another, that we had so much food offered that we ended up throwing some food away, and that we had print shops coming up because you know, we wanted to offer our artistic talents, and that we wanted to spread the message. I think that church needs to acknowledge everything that we have to offer and to say that we have enough and that we can do something with the enough that we have. Well, Taylor Gould, I I know that this was a a deeply personal experience for you, and I I appreciate the trust that you've shown in me and in our listeners in coming here and speaking from what I think in some ways is still a very raw experience. So thank you for being with us today and telling us about your experiences at the Dakota Access Pipeline. Thank you so much for having me. So we've been speaking today with Taylor Gould. She's a seminary student at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. And she's recently returned from Standing Rock, North Dakota, which is in southern North Dakota. And she was a a person who went along with 500 other uh, clergy persons to witness at the Dakota Access Pipeline site. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. Our show today was recorded at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Kija. David Dalt engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenock. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. Taylor Gould is our seminary intern. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to find out more about upcoming guests and about old shows. That's facebook.com slash things not seen radio. And you can sign up for our podcast, download old shows, and just keep up with us generally if you go to our website at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.